The following podcast may be explicit. One Joe Young presents Adventures from the Shed, a tabletop RPG podcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Welcome to a special series of episodes in which Kurt and Joe play Cthulhu Confidential from Pelgrane Press. This is a two-person system based on the gumshoe one-to-one game system. Let's hear about the game and meet the people. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, and welcome to The Shed for Adventures from The Shed. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com, on iTunes, Facebook, Google+, Bing. Uh, Actually, we're on YouTube for a few episodes, too. But for today, we have a very special episode. And by we, I mean me, Joe, and him, Kurt. And Joe and Kurt, we are going to be playing the Cthulhu Confidential one-to-one system. Kurt's going to be running it, and we're going to talk a bit about the system before we get started. Uh, so you already know I'm Joe, and that's Kurt. He's going to run it. I'm going to be the player, and we're going to talk a bit about it now. Kurt's going to kick us off. Go ahead, yeah, Kurt. yeah, I'll kick it off. I'm really excited. I've never played a one-on-one role-playing game before, and it is not one versus one. This is meant to be a collaborative storytelling experience between a game master and one player. Um, with JJ, you may or may not recall that we did a uh, three-person D&D adventure, which was pretty cool, but I yes, think this has the potential to be even more intimate. Uh, so what we're going to do, we're, uh, you may have heard our episodes where, as a group, the Shed crew played Trail of Cthulhu, which is a really well-designed uh, game created by Pelgrane Press or published by Pelgrane Press using the Gumshoe system. And the gumshoe system, in case you don't know, is really an investigative game system. Uh, it provides for fighting and combat, but really it's designed about, myst- uh, about exploring mysteries and investigating crimes and problems. Trail of Cthulhu, we had an exciting adventure. Um, this is in the same universe and the same mythos, but entirely different characters and different stories. One of the things I like about the gumshoe system, by the way, one of my favorite things, I should say, is the idea that you can never never miss an important clue. It's all about you get the clues, and it's up to you to interpret them. And um, I really like that part about the system, and it carries forward into Confidential as well. Exactly. So... Uh, In case you're wondering, this Cthulhu Confidential game is available for pre-order through the Pelgrane Press website. The print version is expected probably next month, which would be May of 2007, but I will say it's been delayed a number of... 2017, excuse me. (laughs) We just traveled far back in time. But it has been delayed a number of times. If you pre-order it, however, you immediately get access to the PDF of the entire game. Uh, It's not perhaps totally final, but I will tell you it's you know several hundred pages and it is superb. So if you are interested in this, hop on the website. I think the retail price is about $44. After tax, I think I paid $52 for access to the full game. What that gets you is the rule set, a description of the system, and then three adventures. And these adventures are all set in what we would call uh, the film noir style. So this is your classic detective tale. You might think of Humphrey Bogart in The Big Sleep or The Maltese Falcon uh, or Dashiell Hammett's novels, Dashiell Hammett's novels, rather. Um, Yeah, it was a dark and stormy night. Exactly. So there are three uh, adventures included in the game with three different detective protagonists. Tonight, we are going to be playing The Fathomless Sleep, and Joe will be playing kind of what I would call a classic private investigator from the 1930s by the name of... 
Dex Raymond, Dex. hard-boiled private eye. Exactly. And uh, by way of background, I'll just tell you, Dex Raymond, he is very much a tabula rasa. He is a blank slate, classic PI. So Joe's really going to be able to give him his own personality and play him the way he wants to play him. The other two adventures, and by the way, our adventure will take place in 1930s uh, Los Angeles, which is a really exciting place on the cusp of radical change. The other two adventures we're not going to play or talk about, but one of them takes place with a female private investigator in New York, and the other takes place with a male African-American private investigator in Washington, D.C. So those ones um, have some interesting social dynamics based on kind of the sexism and racism that those uh, private eyes might encounter and are really interesting adventures in their own right. Not to be too nitpicky, but I thought it was a female news reporter. You're right. She's a journalist. You're totally right. You're totally right. Viv. Exactly. I just thought that was an interesting idea that um, the, the, in that time period, the female's going to stick her nose in everybody else's business, and that would involve some, some friction and conflict. That's exactly right. So yeah. the other two adventures have some conflict inherently built into them. Uh, this one, Joe is really going to get to uh, kind of create his character uh, in the, you know, to play as he wants to. If it's cool with you, let's talk a little bit about the rules. Sure. I've already got the horrible voice for the guy. It's almost like your potted plant, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's all right. So what I'd like to do, let's yeah. talk through the rules, one, so that we understand them, and two, so that the people at home know where we're going. And the first part of this episode will be just us getting to know the system a little bit, and yep. then we'll jump into the adventure. And we'll be explaining a lot about what you're going to hear. So hopefully it makes a lot of sense when we get there because I think the mechanics here are very different from even Trail of Cthulhu where there were dice rolling for almost everything or point spends or something that, although different from our regular games, at least stuck for that full episode or that full series of episodes. And here we're onto a similar but very different mechanical system that we're going to learn as we go as well as hopefully make sense of to the people listening. Exactly. So um, let's, let's give a summary of the rules, and then you'll see how these play out. And this is, I would say, um, the rules are interesting, and generally there's not many of them. In fact, I would say that they can be summarized on one page. And as they tell you in the book, basically they say, look, here's the rules. The rest is detail. If you don't remember anything else, that's fine. Yeah. There's some special rules for combat and mental distress, but if you don't know them, this one page will get you where you need to go. And this all revolves around the idea that, look, if you're a detective, not finding clues and not finding information is not fun. It certainly does not propel the story forward. It makes it stagnate. That's right. So failing to get key information is never interesting. Therefore, the rules are designed to help a Joe or Dex get the information he needs. But we're not just going to give it to him either because that's no fun. So a lot of the mystery solving really lies in sorting the important from kind of the tangential or from the inconsequential red herrings that he will likely encounter. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So uh, let's start with talking about pushes. Uh, Pushes are designed to help you make an extra effort in an investigative circumstance to get more information. And you're going to start the game with four pushes. You can spend them whenever you want, and you may have the opportunity to earn additional pushes during play. But they're not going to be readily available. So you should kind of think, I'm going to get four pushes and maybe a couple of more. For, I should expect to have only four for the whole session and might pick up one or two more based on, I think it's what, uh, very good dice rolls or, or um, an edge that might give me an extra push or something, and things that we'll talk about. It, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
you've got a bunch of abilities. You have a one-page character sheet, and this comes uh, with a, as a pre-gen character in the book. And I am psyched to be um, specific again and say it's barely a half-page character sheet. Right. It's very half, nice. Half-page character sheet. And I'll let you talk about it a little bit, but sure. the key here is that there are a number of general abilities, and you have either one dice, one die, or mm-hmm. two dice in those abilities. And what that means is if I ask you to roll a check or a challenge that requires that skill, you're either going to roll one or two dice. And then the, what's fascinating about this is I'm not going to roll a die for the next three to six hours. The game master I never love rolls. I that part. I really like that part, yeah. And you're going to know what the challenge is in advance. And there's mm-hmm. three levels. There's going to be a number that I tell you is what's called the advance. And that's basically like your super success. So if you get that, it's going to be a great result, and you may even get an additional bonus called an edge from it. Then there's going to be what they call the hold, which is kind of like you know, the middle, it's partial success, partial complication perhaps, and usually there's no penalty associated with it, and there's no bonus associated with it. It's kind of the wash. It happened, and nothing great or bad came out of it. Correct. And then finally, the low end is what I think we call the setback. And what that means is you failed at what you were trying to do, and something bad happened to you. And because we don't have other party members who can come to your aid, uh, if you fail, something bad is going to happen to you. And this game comes with neat cards, problem cards and edge cards. And if you fail, I will likely give you a very specific problem card that was tied to what happened there. Mm -hmm. So this is not a generic, hey, I got a problem. This is my character now has a role-playing based problem as a result of what just happened in the story. And if we get all the way to the end of our scenario and you still have open problems, that will affect the outcome of the scenario. Right. That makes sense. So let me talk about what I have for my character sheet a bit. For anybody who is uh, in possession of the PDF file, if you have um, purchased that book ahead of time and you've got access to it, you will see on page 66 is Dexter Dex Raymond. And I'll just read some of what's right on the sheet quickly to go through it uh, to give you an idea. Investigative abilities. These are the abilities that the the character can just do meaning if this situation comes up and they employ these abilities they get the result provided it's part of the the scene or the um the, the little encounter that we're on so under investigative abilities for decks is accounting assess honesty bargain cop talk cryptography evidence collection intimidation inspiration law Locksmith, photography, reassurance, research, and streetwise. And those are split up between personal, you can help me with some of these, Kurt, if you happen to remember, but the, there are personal relationships. There is investigative. investigative uh, well, not investigative, but, but the icon that's right after it. Uh, if you happen to remember what that is offhand. But um, I'll mention also the general abilities, and these are ones that everybody has. Athletics, cool, concealed devices, driving, filch, fighting, preparedness, sense trouble, shadowing, stability, and stealth. What did you see, Kurt? And just so you know, the, the symbols, there's yeah. one with two people. That's interpersonal. interpersonal. The one with the gear is a technical skill. Technical. The book is an academic skill. Academic, okay. Um, and none of that really matters other than yeah. as a signal to you of, hey, this is how yeah. I should be role-playing this. Exactly the idea. Um, and then the other part here is uh, starting pushes for decks. Uh, actually, says three on here. Although I don't know if the scenario might say four, but it says specifically on the sheet. And then the only other part of this sheet is a little story, and it talks about how um, he is, as Kurt put it, he's a blank slate, uh, but an archetypical um, 
private investigator of the time. Right. Um, and I'm picturing him just as they put him on the back of that page, so page 67. He's just a guy with his fedora pulled over his uh, face, so there's shadow over his eyes, and he's got a cigarette in the corner of his mouth, and he's uh, wearing some sort of trench coat and a black tie and a white shirt. That's, that's right. Dex. Right. Now, here's a key rule that I need you to remember, because I'm going to be having a lot of stuff to think about. Um, if we talked about pushes, and they're actually really important, if you get to the advance, which is the super success number, mm-hmm. with fewer dice than you could have rolled, that's when you can get an ad- additional push. Okay. So like, let's say the advance number is five, and you roll a five or a six on your first die when you had two dice, okay. then you get the advance, and because you got it in one die, you get a push. Okay. So if you oh. can try to remind me, hey, I got that, I got that only in one or you know, one die, then I'll remember, oh, okay, you get a push. And you're going to have to keep track of your pushes and tell me when you spend them and, and when you don't and when you, how many you have left. Now, as part of preparing for this adventure, I, Joe, I only read, from the player's perspective, the first part of the rule book. I read up to, I, I want to say I read up to page 30-ish. There's a little bit more than that. And then there are some that, that afterwards goes into the scenarios, which Kurt shared with me, which one we would be playing so that I could read a little bit about the character there. But to that point, what that means for me, at least, is as a player, this is short setup. Before we started, though, Kurt mentioned how as a GM for the game, as the Game Master, there are actually a bunch of things that they can do. And you've heard a couple of them so far. And just based on what I've read so far, I want to explain one of them. And the idea that you are going into a, do they call it a scenario? Uh, each, each piece of the entire adventure has its own scene. And when you go into a scene as a GM, you're creating that scene with different levels of success. So the advance, the middle, which I still can't remember, hold. the hold, and setback. then there's the setback. So if you're writing, if you're creating this scene, you're creating under advance, what kind of edges could somebody get? And an edge is an actual piece of paper or card or a note that they will get that gives some mechanical or role-play benefit to their character. Right. And then under, under the hold piece, they don't necessarily get anything. They just got what they needed out of the scene to get out of the scene. And then under the setback, they're going to get another, uh, a different piece of paper called a problem. And that is either a role-playing or mechanical detriment to the character, which needs to be taken into account, or worked off by spending time or some, some way to get rid of this problem or role-play with it, because it could be a lot of fun depending on what it is right so that preparation meaning you've got a plot you've got different um, arcs off of this plot and you've got all these pieces where you are going to have to write out each scene if you're creating it yourself and how they link together and if it sits alone uh, you know what is the outcome of it so i can see as a gm there would be a lot of preparation here to kurt's point there are three adventures that come with the book so great way to get started and probably some really good uh almost templates to work from. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. If you are going to GM this, uh, they are very explicit that from the game master perspective or the game moderator perspective, this is more about preparation than improvisation. You definitely have to improv com- conversations and come up with filling in the facts, but you've got to know how the pieces of a, the story fit together and be prepared to go where the player goes. It is, uh, you can go different ways to get to the end, but it's not a totally open sandbox. So part of my job is to make sure you're getting clues that lead you to where you need to go so that we don't end off, you know, with you deciding you want to fly off to Florida to go interview someone that's totally (laughs) irrelevant. 
with the gumshoe system and with this, you know, Joe, when your character, when Dex looks for information in the right place, he is going to get the clue. As simple mm. as that. But in order for you to obtain clues, you've got to describe your character interacting with the contents of the scene. Right, so, I'll use one of the examples that I remember from the book. It tells you that um, if you're in the room and there's something taped under the desk and you specifically say, I'm going to look under the desk, you get the thing that's taped under the desk. You don't have to say, I'm going to look under and roll a die to see if your perception's high enough to find the thing under the desk. You exactly. get it because you actually led your character to the point where that thing was. Correct. But if you just say, I walked into the room and I look around, what do I see? Mm-hmm. You will not see the clue under the desk, at least not immediately. Right. Um, so. But if it's what Trail of Cthulhu called a core clue, then you'll get it before you leave the scene. Exactly. Um, the GM will, will push it upon your character's knowledge, even if it's not upon the player's knowledge. Right. So um, we talked about pushes. I'm generally not going to urge you to use a push. You should use them as appropriate. There are a couple of places in the episode where I might say, do you want to use a push here? But you okay. should not wait on that. Now, without using a push, there's another great uh, way for you to get additional information, and that's to use your sources. So Dex Raymond is a seasoned private eye in L.A., and he has a network of people who he has relied on and who have helped him over the last few years. And we're not going to go into detail about who those people are now, but the idea here is that, you know, Joe and Dex do not have a party, and he does not have every skill that he's going to need. For example, he does not know anything about the occult. He does not know, uh, you know, there are skills that he doesn't have. So he has a network of sources. He's got, and you'll learn this, but he's got a, a, a high-up buddy in the police department that he can go to for help. He's got a low-end you know, guy in the police department. He's got a, a kind of a, a cultist, you know, fortune reader friend and a forensic doctor friend and all of this stuff. So um, they may or may not come out in the adventures, but you, know, you can drive scene to scene to scene to scene. But at any time, you can basically say, look, Dex would go off here and talk to, you know, uh, my professor yeah. friend to learn more about this particular thing. I was thinking it in, um, thinking of it in some of the common lingo of like calling in a lifeline. Essentially, I don't know the answer, but I know someone who does. Correct. So I go to that person and I ask them, "How can you help me with this?" Right. And what I would urge is, you know, those are kind of relaxed um, breaks between the major scenes, mm-hmm. but they still should be role played. Like if you just say, "I want to go to see my professor and, and tell him what he can tell me about this," like that's yeah. eh, not much fun for us. So. We, we still want to play that out as part of the uh, adventure. So um, there's a bunch of description in here of all the different skills that, to be honest, we're just going to skip and we're going to use our common sense about what does what. And the book does a great job of preparing us for that. I will also mention that you can try to do something even if you don't have a general ability in it, but you've got to justify to me why it feels plausible in the particular circumstance and if you're not, if you don't have it as a skill, you're going to have to take an extra problem card and uh, and roll the one die that it gives to you. And one of the things I noticed later on in the book, I think, when it talks about continuing after an adventure, provided of course you live through it, is between adventures you can actually acquire or advance a skill. And what Kurt just described of trying something you've never tried before is one way to justify that between adventures of picking up a new skill, especially if you want your character to have that, a character to have that. So if I wanted um, Dex to come up with forensics after this adventure, I would push him during the adventure to use it so that it makes sense in between. Right, right. 
Now, I will mention also, Joe, let's say you roll and you come up a little short of the number you want to hit. That is sure to happen. <laughs> and remember, you know the yeah. number. So yeah. You might want to get an advance or maybe you're in the setback level and you're like, oh, man, I got to get to at least the hold. You can roll an extra die by uh, either spending an edge card that allows you to do, do that or taking on an extra problem. And more likely, it's going to be the extra problem. Yeah. And so in a particular circumstance, you may say, I really want to get this up. Give me the extra problem. Yeah. And you got to remember that that's an option. Um, and I would not discourage you from doing that because those extra problems make for interesting role play. Right. I'm expecting Dex to have three broken hands <laughs> <laughs> just, just because I'll keep pushing everything. Now, you sure. can only get one yeah. extra problem per test. Okay. So you only get one extra Dang roll. It. Um, uh, you can get one from an edge and another from an extra problem. I don't see that happening, but you could, in theory, do it. Yep. Um, uh, and finally, you can choose to even in, not you know, engage in a test. You can just accept the consequences of a setback because you think it might be interesting for the story. Yeah, I like that option, too. It spells it right out in the rules. You don't have to house rule something like that. But the player can say, you know what, I, I want to fail this because I think it'll be neat if I'm on the bad guy's bad side as we progress in the story, rather than getting away with something. Uh, it might actually uh, make the story more along the, the way the player wants the character to be. So you, you, it's nice. Accept that and just move on. That's cool. Right, right. So when you have a problem, uh, if it's unaddressed at the end of the story, it can lead to more of a downbeat ending. Uh, you can get rid of it during gameplay by doing something realistic to get rid of it. And you can describe what that is to me. Uh, and it might include taking time away from the main adventure. And that all that is is just you tell me, like, what would... What would Dex do? And depending on how you play him, maybe he goes to a bar and drinks drinks his problem away yeah. with bourbon. Maybe yeah, he goes be. to the gym and pounds a punching bag. Yep. Maybe he goes and has sex with a hot dame, a it little roll be. of the hay. Yep. Um, and depending on how convincing your description is, you might be able to uh, remove that problem. But then if there's a ticking clock going on, it's hazardous That's to exactly, spend time. So that's we exactly want to be careful right. of that. That's exactly right. Yep. Um, I think we're getting near the end of what we need to cover in the rules. Um, the total introduction for the player in this PDF is about 30, maybe 33 pages, uh, of which two or three pages are truly critical. The Plus, there are about 10 pages or so that give you the full descriptions of um, your abilities. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you can take them on face value or once you get used to them, that's another 10 pages that it just explains how abbreviated these rules are. Within, right. within 15 or so pages is everything the player needs to know to play this game. Right. I mean, to be honest, I prepped for this pretty hard, and I just flew over those skills because I was like, I know, yeah. what, I know what these are going to yeah, do. Yeah, we know what investigation um, in, uh, of intimidation or law or locksmith, we know what those means and the what they mean in the context of role play, and we're ready to go with it. We don't need to read out five sentences of what locksmith is. Exactly. Yeah. So then, for those of you who want to game master the session, there's probably 50 or 60 pages of kind of advice on GMing, and none of it's really required for this, uh, for the pre-gen episodes or the pre-made episodes. A lot of it is for, hey, if I wanted to create a one-on-one -on -one Cthulhu Confidential Adventure, how would I go about doing that? And Kurt, let me interrupt you for a moment, because there was something that I read as I was looking at this the other night um, that... I, for the life of me, I can't find right now, and I've been th thumbing, thumbing through some pages. So first off, we know that we have a player, um, and then in this game, the GM is actually called the Game Moderator, Moderator. Correct. but they don't use our old standby of NPCs, non-player characters. It is like GMCs? 
Yeah, I it's think a it, I game think, moderator character. I think that's exactly right. Okay, yeah. and I couldn't find that somewhere. But just as a note, they decided to change some of the nomenclature of our role play gaming for us. At least they kept RPGs and they kept player. And at least GM is a familiar abbreviation, although right. it is now game moderator. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, do we want to give a little background on Dex before the adventure and his sources, or do we just want to jump into it? I, I want to do a little bit. Um, well, actually, let me ask you, Kurt. You as, give- the, as the GM, right. is Dex starting in his office? Because you mentioned something about an office. Right, he's going to. So, I, I tell you what, let me do a, a very brief background on where yeah. we stand. Because this is 1937. So for those of you who are at home, we have come out of, or we are coming out of the Great Depression. And you may or may not know, but Los Angeles, you know, was basically a cow town prior to the Depression. It was a lot of farmland uh, and orchards, and it was nothing like what you think of today. Um, You really have Hollywood starting to take off in the 1930s. Uh, By way of reference, 1939 is the year that The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind come out. So 1939 is a huge year in Hollywood. Mm. So prior, you know, where we are at 37, you've got some businessmen who have been, in most cases, real estate moguls who have basically been taking this cow town and turning it into a modern city. And then at the same time, you have this class of Hollywood stars and starlets coming up almost out of nowhere who are viewed as kind of the nouveau wit, nouveau riche. The, you know, the businessmen look down on them and don't respect them, but to the country at large and the community at large, they're larger-than-life icons. And in this world uh, of fast and rapid growth and change, you've got an underworld, a criminal uh, society, an underbelly that really is running a lot of what's happening in the town and that has tentacles out into the world of the police. So the LAPD, certainly not everyone, but a lot of them are corrupt and are on the payroll of kind of some of these crime lords. And this is the world in which Dex Raymond is operating. And uh, I'll let... um, Joe tell you a little bit more about him, but he is an outsider by choice. He's smart. He's gritty. Uh, he could have been part of this corrupt establishment. He could have been a police officer on the take. But mm-hmm. s- instead, something inside of him, he really wants to operate on the fringes, and he wants to set himself apart from that world, and he always had. Um, you know, He may remind you of Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe from the movies we know. Uh, but here, he's a character that Joe is going to kind of be able to create in his own image. And we're going to begin the first scene without a real predetermined biography. He looks just like me. Yeah, but he's outside the support of, uh, of a real community other than the sources that we talked about. Um, and I don't want to get into those now. I think, I think what yeah. would make sense would be to have you pick your first problem. Because what you need to do, and this is for role-play purposes only, yeah. you need to pick one of four problems. And I'm going to read them to you because they're interesting. And this is Ooh. going to help you determine the nature of your character. So right. problem one, what killed the cat? Even when you shouldn't look or you have oh, no... Just, just as a point, would the what killed the cat is actually the title of it. Title of the problem. No cat actually died in the making of this game. <laughs> every yeah. edge and every problem yeah. has a title. So uh, Joe is correct. No cat was killed here. <laughs> but here's the trait. Even yeah. when you shouldn't look or you have no reason to want to know something, you can't not look. You can't stop probing. You worry problems like a terrier worries a rat. So you could pick that. So the point of what killed the cat was curiosity. It's a curiosity problem. Exactly. Number two, lonely. You should have gotten over her by now. She's gone and gone for good. It's time you moved on, found someone new. Maybe someone who won't play you for a sap this time. Oh, hell. Who are you kidding? No, no, it'll be somebody else. (laughs) Number three, 
broke. Nobody could ever accuse you of loving money. You wouldn't be an honest private eye if that were the case. But a man needs to eat and keep the lights on. And you're on the verge of being evicted from both your apartment and your office. Okay. Or lastly, vice hound. Gambling, whores, the opium pipe. You've kicked all those vices before. So if you slip, and, and I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so if you slip a little bit and indulge one or more of your compulsions, you can straighten yourself up again, right? Right. I like I like broke because of the way I've described his office. I didn't even think about an apartment, but I've already you, you can picture the apartment. So I'm going to go with broke. All right. Well, I'll tell you, you're going to be in a dingy office either way. So yeah. if, if you wanted something else, well, I, I've already written a dingy office. Okay. I hope that's all right. Awesome. All right. So you're going to go with broke. Broke. So. What so I would tell I you is I will give you that problem. Okay. Uh, I just no, set it on my table No here. mechanical advantage or disadvantage, okay. but you need to, the, the need for money yeah. or subsi- survival or subsistence should in some way affect at least some decisions your character makes during the adventure. Okay. And I'm not going to push it. You just need to yeah. bring that in if you want to. All right. All right. So um, just as another uh, behind-the-scenes note for those listening – it is just Kurt and I in the shed tonight, and we've kind of got this, uh, well, I should say, I made this haphazard setup. We we do not have our big table. For those who have seen us on video or any pictures, we normally have a big table with um, the Our Adventures from the Shed logo on it, um, you know, old time thanks to Mike Robertson, and we sit at that table and play. Today, Kurt and I are just kind of separated by the a bench where he has all his stuff laid out, and we've got two TV trays and a couple little end tables, and we're kind of... Uh, sitting face to face in in what I thought would be a good um, a good atmosphere for the one on one game here. Um, now back to what we were saying. So for Dex, um, I I think broke fits the way that I've seen him so far. Dex, uh, you can already picture he is that guy. He is that private eye. The the one who, although he's dressed well, uh, you know the cuffs of his shirt are slightly frayed, but it's nice and clean because that's the shirt that he wears to work. Um, his tie is always tucked in unless he's just been in a tussle and then it's uh, hanging out and, and, and slightly loose. He's got that, um, that fedora on pulled down over his eyes and he doesn't smoke often. It's only for effect, but he does smoke because it has a good effect when it's needed. Always has the five o'clock shadow, even immediately after shaving, it just <laughs> pops right back. And, um, He's just a, a straight-laced guy. Kurt mentioned the point of that there's a lot of corruption as far as Dex is concerned. There are only um, th- there might be more than one cop who isn't on the take, but he only knows and trusts one. Uh, and I'm, I'm presuming he's going to come up more than once, and that's um, Detective Sergeant Ted Gargan. Uh, he's going to be, uh, I, I picture he's going to be somebody that Dex is going to, to talk to and get to know more as the story goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as what got him into it, uh, he always felt out of place and wanted justice. The system just messed with everything in his life, and he just grew up and found one way he could fight the system without having to be part of it. So he went into the private dick business, and as a private eye, he has been able to make some impact on the world of corruption, although he knows its immense weight um, will not be alleviated by his own efforts. He, he'll just keep fighting while he can. And that's Dex to awesome. start. So whatever you've already pictured as the 1930s private eye, you're right, because that's who he is. Awesome. I want to make it easy for those who want to put a picture in their mind. Excellent. 
Listen, before we get started, I just want to give credit to the people who created this particular game. Uh, some of you may know Robin D. Laws. Uh, he's a famed, famed game master, wrote one of the classic texts on game mastering. So Robin Laws was directly involved in producing this or writing this adventure along with Chris Spivey and Ruth Tillman. Uh, and I think they've done a great job. So. Yes, and I would like to give credit to the people who did the layout for the book insofar as at the top right of every page, their names are there, which I, I really like that. It isn't very often the authors get credit on every layout. Uh, as every page you turn, you get the recognition of the people who actually put this together. I, I, I appreciate that. Right. It's cool. And lastly, uh, I will just say this is the first time I've played one-on-one -on -one, and only the second time I've played Gumshoe. And so if I screw up some of the rules or if we miss offering pushes or taking yeah. edges or things like that, we're going to do our best, but really what we're trying to do is tell a story together, and uh, please don't slaughter us on Twitter. <laughs> the best please. part is, just like Trail of Cthulhu, neither, neither of us will know that the other one screwed up, <laughs> That's exactly and we'll right. just keep going. That's exactly right. And, uh, and as a last note, for those of you who don't know, uh, you know, you're like, well, this sounds like a lot of private eye investigative work. What the heck's up with Cthulhu? Uh, we're not going to talk too much about it, but you know, yeah. the general idea is if you've read the horror of H.P. Lovecraft, you know that... The Cthulhu mythos, basically, su I'm super simplifying, but it's the idea that the world is a complete hole of blackness and nihilistic nothingness, and that there are these great deep ones, these ancient aliens who live under the sea and under the polar ice caps who are trying to work their way back to the world and essentially devour all of humanity and that it's hopeless to ultimately yeah. stand against them and cthulhu is one of the kind of deities if you will but there are others and there they're these old ones or these deep ones and it's just it is a very kind of fear-based horror-based um indescribable pathos uh in in his horror and the idea here is that perhaps a little bit of that might shine through into our detective story, depending on how things go. And we think we're going to be able to pull some more of that off in the um, the two-person narrative that we're going to have. Uh, for, for the audio perspective, I know many people are used to us filling gaps uh, as much as possible with side conversations and making sure you're constantly entertained. I think in this series of episodes, you may notice some pauses for dramatic effect. Um, don't worry, your radio or your podcast machine isn't broken. It's just us maybe trying to make it a little more intense as we're playing. Um, and, the, and there is a lot of stuff that I'm going to be reading and tracking. Not reading aloud, but reading to myself as we play. So Joe may be filling some airtime, describing what Dex is doing and looking around. And I think that's, that's awesome. That's part of the game. Uh, yeah, I'm also that. going to urge him as a player to uh, write down kind of everyone that gets mentioned and any connections that he can create between the characters because this is a, a labyrinthine web potentially that we will weave during the course of this adventure. I so, like the labyrinthian web. I'm happy to chat more, but I'm also happy to jump in whenever you yeah. want to start. And I guess what I would say is, you know, we're looking at probably 20 or 30 minutes uh, to the end of this episode. So we'll get maybe the first scene or two done, and then we'll take a break and come back yeah. and play another hour or two, depending on how we're feeling, and uh, go from there. Sounds the adventure good. could take between two hours at the low end and nine hours at the epically crazy Joe ran down every <laughs> single clue that exists you know, in the adventure. It's probably, you know, yeah. two, was, three telling, or four hours. I was telling Kurt before we started that um, 
I, I'm almost tempted to go the completionist route. If if Dex doesn't happen to die or go mad, it would be actually neat to explore every single possibility of an adventure. I don't know that I have ever done that. And considering we might be able to do that in just a few episodes, it might, it might be worthwhile to try. We'll see. We'll see if you find yeah. the clues. Yeah, I'm on. Some of them are not obvious. Uh, um, they, you know, they make sure you get the big clues, but they don't yeah. make sure that you go off to check the guest house at yeah. the, the maid's you know place or whatever. The French maid's place. <laughs> with a choker. Yes. All right. Um, yeah, my, my son yeah. asked me about that. Yeah, what what <laughs> was French maid, Daddy? I was playing in the car. Yeah. Uh, little All side right, well, humor listen. for those who pay attention to our other episodes. I um, am going to set the first scene in the fathomless sleep. Now, do we start in Dex's office? I, I want to know because I have a description of his office, and I don't know. I could actually give it to you, and you could read it. Well, I, I will give you the two-sentence description, and then you okay. can fill it out from there. All right, so go for it. The, uh, the first scene. Oh, we, we have it highlighted and everything. Oh, man, I, I, I highlighted the heck. Um, Sweet. All right, go for it. So the action begins in the dingy Bunker Hill office of Dex Raymond's one-man private detective agency. You look around, and I'll, what I see is a window with a crack taped with uh, masking tape, a cheap couch along the wall that looks like it was picked up off of the street, uh, an old desk that's scratched, uh, varnish is worn off, and a cheap chair behind it. And uh, beyond that, I'll let you describe what the office looks like. And okay. I'll ask you to tell me at least one thing in there that is particularly important, unique, or uh, sen- of sentimental value to Dex. All right. So I, I wrote it as um, very close without a cracked window, but we'll go with the cracked window too. So uh, does it matter the building it's in? Not at all. I just want to make sure that it doesn't affect the story. So his office is a hole-in-the-wall single room on the third floor of a five-story office building. He has one dingy window, which is cracked and has tape over it and has faltering blinds in front of it. And there are slight lamps in opposite corners that struggle against the weight of the city's oppression and a corruption with twin globes of faint light. At the edge of the light, on the far right corner of Dex's old worn desk, is an ancient cracked vase given to him by his grandfather on his mother's side. Although it's broken, light plays off the flecks of what could be precious gems in it. And um, those gems are set in the delicate Far Eastern artwork on it. It's about the only thing that shines in his office, and Dex is regularly distracted by it, picking it up to find yet another nuance in its decoration. So when he's got nothing else to do, Dex is sitting at his desk, and every now and then a little bit of that light that creeps far enough out of the corner will play off of this vase, and he checks it out. Interesting. I imagine there's also a ceiling fan spinning that rarely stops. I, no, actually, I, I want to say in this office, there's the old metal fan with one blade that occasionally will scrape against the frame. Mm, so nice. it's that nice. one with maybe one little thread or something on the front that wavers every now and then in the breeze. So while Dex has been, I would say, a, a successful private investigator and uh, has a large has a reputation that will precede him, a good reputation, uh, times have been tough, and there hasn't yeah. been a lot of work. Yeah, he's currently broke, as I have found out recently. Exactly. So um, he is pleased while he's sitting at his desk when he hears a knock at the door. It's just before 5, and he'd been planning to go home for the day, but uh, he hears a, a kind of a polite but firm knock at the door. So he looks up at the um, mostly opaque glass. There's a little bit of translucency to it, to the really faded eye 
that's been painted on it for the private EYE I part. Um, and he knows right on the other side of it that it says above it, um, Raymond PI. And that, that's what the other person's looking at while they're knocking at the door. <clears throat> and I've already come up with the horrible detective voice or, or private eye voice for him. So I will use that in the first person for Dex. Um, hey, who is it? Come on in. So the door opens uh, somewhat timidly, but then more aggressively. Mm-hmm. And Actually, the faster it opens, the louder it squeaks. So, Well, it starts kind of quietly, and, and you see a, a really stunningly beautiful face peer around the corner of the door. And once she looks inside and sees that you're there, she opens it actually quite confidently and aggressively. And you see a, a woman, a dame, who uh, is not the kind that you see every day. She's uh, beautiful, uh, d- raven black hair. Uh, wearing a n- not a cocktail dress, but a very nice uh, high class dress that hugs her body in all the right ways. Um, she- Dex will immediately stand up and straighten out his shirt and brush the dust off of his leg that came off of his chair. Excellent, excellent. She looks. Uh, she looks. In addition to being beautiful, she looks cool and sultry and everything that you did not expect to walk into your office today. <laughs> she looks uh, like she's got money. And she says t- she she does look like she has money. Yes. That's exactly right. And she uh, she says. Mr. Mr. Raymond? Yeah. Yeah, Dollface. Dex. Dolph. Dex is fine. Dollface. Dex. Dex it is. Yes. Um, uh, Mr. Raymond. I, I mean, Dex. Um, yeah. I, I need help. And I've asked around, and people have told me that you're the man who can help. Something terrible has happened to my sister, and I don't know what to do. And I may have waited too long. It may be too late. But I'm hoping you can help me. Well... Uh, sit yourself down on the couch here and give me a little bit more information. You know, grab his chair, pull it around the desk over to the couch and offer her the cleanest spot on the old worn couch, which right. is actually off to the right-hand side. All right. So she, uh, she kind of looks around the office and she doesn't look with disdain, but she's looking around and is obviously not particularly impressed with the office, but um, she appreciates the uh, effort that you're putting forth. And she sits down and, uh, and she crosses her legs, uh, not, intentionally trying to be sexy, but she just is. She's just a beautiful, confident woman. And uh, Now, does Dix recognize her from anywhere? He does not recognize uh, her at all. So. so tell me about your sister. Who is she? He says, well, well would you, mind, uh, would you li- mind lighting my cigarette first? If I, uh, do you have a light? Oh, not at all. He keeps one in, um, in his desk, not on him. When he's in his office, it's in his desk. So he goes back around to the desk, pulls open the drawer, which sticks, of course, and he has to jimmy it a bit and clunk, clunk, clunk. <clears throat> Opens the door. And while he's doing that, yeah. this, this lady uh, has taken a, a beautiful silver cigarette case out of her small clutch and is mm. very uh, properly taking the cigarette and is holding it up to her lips, waiting for uh, okay. Mr. Raymond to light it. <laughs> Once he finally gets the, um, the lighter ready, flips open the top and, and strikes the flint, and off a little light goes for her. All right, and I need you to roll a cool check. I'm wicked cool. So you should look at your sheet to see I how many have. dice you have in cool, one or two. 24 of them. And I have tell one. You, you have one. I'll tell you that the advanced number here is a okay. four or greater, and the setback is one or less. Okay, I know I can roll a one. Here's my roll. Oh, it went all the way to the floor. What was it? Do you want to take it? Uh, it's a three. Know. I'll go with the three. Let's yes. take it. I'm going to take what I got. All right, so that's going to be a hold, which is the middle right. result. And uh, what you're doing here is you're rolling to see how taken you are in by this, uh, by this ah. lady. And you can't deny that... Definitely she, taken in by what appears to be money at this point. Right. Yes. You can't deny that she's got something special about her. But you're not about to go all goo-goo-eyed at the first sight of her. 
So, um, I'm more embarrassed that my drawer wouldn't open. (laughs) Excellent. Well, so at this point, she takes a a small puff on her cigarette and she says, Well, may I tell you a little bit about my situation? By the way, I'm Margaret, Margaret Deacon. I'm Margaret Dex. Excellent. So, my sister, Helen. Yep. um, And actually, just as Joe is doing at this point, uh, Dex will pick up his little black book, flip open the uh, top of it, and uh, pick up a, a pencil, because he doesn't write in pen. I don't know why, but he doesn't. We'll figure that out eventually. Okay. And he'll start writing. So it's a Margaret. Margaret Deacon. And her sister's name is? Helen. All right. So look, I, I'm not totally sure where to start. This is a... Well, uh, it's all good stories. Start at the beginning. That'll well, help me out a lot. Well, at the end, we're already done. <laughs> what really matters is that my my sister Helen, and, and there's a lot to say about her, but she went missing six weeks ago. And it wasn't unusual for her to disappear for a day or two. She's, uh, she's a much wilder child than I am. Um, but she went missing, and uh, she was gone for a couple of weeks. And uh, during that time, we were worried about her. We had no idea what had happened. While she's talking, not only is Dex going to be nodding and paying attention, but he will occasionally waver from eye contact to check out jewelry and other things that might indicate what he might be off, uh, what he might be charging her for his services. Um, so she she disappeared, and uh, a, a month ago, so four weeks ago, she just turned up out of nowhere, wandering the streets of downtown. It was late at night. She was dressed in only a blood-stained, dirty negligee, a camisole. Um, Is that what she was wearing when she went missing? I don't know what she was wearing when she went missing, but I doubt she was wearing a blood-stained camisole. All right. The uh, the cops actually picked her up, uh, and they recognized her. Um, uh, They knew that, I'm not sure how to say this, but we're from an influential and wealthy family. Uh, you may not know us, but uh, they, they certainly did. And they recognized her immediately, and they knew that she was the heir to the deacon fortune, and they brought her home and, uh, and discreetly left her with my father. Um, she didn't recognize me at all. Uh, on her return, she was mumbling a little bit, words that made no sense. She was essentially catatonic. Um, she, she just didn't seem to know who we were or where she was, and just kind of kept mumbling. And since then, we've had doctors and we've had specialists and the best care that money can buy. And we've made no progress at all. And she's still exactly the same as she was four weeks ago. See, um, Dex kind of squirmed a little when she said best money could buy. He's ready. So. He's ready. Because he's the best money he's about to buy. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, what I can tell you, but I have to find out what happened to my sister. And I have to find out if we can make her better. So while she's talking, as a um, private eye, um, as a PI, Dex is very familiar with the tones and the manners that people use when they are not telling the truth. And he's, he's keeping an eye on her to, to see if she's really being honest with him on what's going on so far. Okay. And, and just as, as an expose, I want to use the assess, assess honesty. Perfect. And that's a great way to play that. Yeah. Um, so, so far, everything she said is totally true. Uh, so perhaps she, not she the whole ex- story, but right. perfectly truthful. So she's she's definitely sad about her sister, and she, or at least I wouldn't say that she's necessarily sad, 
Uh, she's concerned. She wants okay. this solved exactly as she said. Okay. She and her sister were, well, I should say, my sister and I, maybe we weren't close as I would have liked. And there's, uh, there's a lot of history there. Um, we weren't best friends by any stretch, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to know what happened to her and I don't want to find who did this to her. So what kind of people do the deacons work with? Who would have, who would have been wanting to take your sister? Well, I have no idea who would have wanted to take her. But let me tell you a little bit about our, our family. And again, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to brag, but you know, we're a very well-off family. Uh, my father was a real estate mogul, uh, and he made a fortune here over the last decade. And even through the Depression, he did really well when people were struggling. Uh, a little intimidated by the wealthy woman. He uh, makes sure he straightens his tie and his shirt collars down properly. So, um, unfortunately, things have really changed over the last couple of years for us. Uh, it's not that we've lost our money, but um, my mother died two years ago. And everything changed when mom died. Um, my father had run the business for his entire life. Uh, he made all the deals. He knew all the people. And when she passed, he just didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And he handed Deacon Holdings off to us, uh, to Helen and me, to run. And so we've been responsible for everything since then. And uh, when I say we, I really mean I, because to be honest, Helen hasn't been that interested in, in uh, being the responsible businesswoman. So is she interested in the money but not the business? She just doesn't have a head for business. She's a All lot right. more interested in um, maybe what's playing at the movies or you know, dancing down at the club. What kind of business is Deacon Holdings involved in? It's uh, real estate speculation and real estate development. So it's, um, you know, and we've done well, uh, but it's hard. You know, it's hard work, and I've been doing a lot of the work. And as a woman uh, running this in town, it's, uh, it's an uphill battle. And to be frank, uh, Dex, it's, uh, I'm tired, tired. And I need help, and I'd like to have my sister back. I can imagine there's lots of people in town that would want their hands in the cookie jar that you're running. That's true. We, you know, we have to be we have to be careful about who we whom we deal with. Exactly. And you know, that's uh that's part of why I came to you, Mr. Raymond. I, I mean, I mean, Dex. That's fine. You know, I uh, I don't mind saying that when I asked around about you, people told me you were the kind of guy who would see this case through to the end if you took it. And I need to know that that's true, Dex. Will you see this through to the end, all the way? Never stop short on a case, Stalin. Well, never come up short. That's good. That's good. Now, I will, you know, I'm afraid I may have, I may have waited too long. Um, now, when you say waited too long, you mean you should have come to somebody four weeks ago when your sister showed up? Exactly. Where is she now? Well, she's at home. She's at home. And, you know, to be honest, I put more faith in the police than I should have. I thought that they would investigate this and solve this. Yeah, you, you put your faith in the wrong place there. Yeah, I mean, they made a half-hearted, half-hearted investigation, but... Uh, they didn't really come up with anything. And now I'm just afraid that I'll never get the real story from Helen. And, um, and I, I don't want to curse like a sailor, but I want to get the sons of bitches who did this. Can you tell me who you were working with with the police? Um, you know, I was working with um, one of the uh, precinct chiefs. Um, his name was Ted, Ted Riley, I think. Ted, Ted, yeah, Riley. Oh, it was Riley. No, not Ted. It wasn't Ted. It was... Uh, Hang on, that's not right. It was Theo, Theo Riley. Does Dex know Theo Riley? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe. You might know the name. Not yeah. a close friend. Then uh, Dex will just knowingly nod at her and, and make the note. And um, 
is at as I am at the end of that sheet, and he flips it over, smooths it out on the back of the book. Um, so who else has come to see your sister? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting you should say that. Um, and by the way, I'm, I'm doing, um, I don't know, one of the things that I was curious about is how research ends up working. It probably wouldn't work in this case. Um, yeah. But it's when there's other information that I've got to look up. But anyway, go on. No, that's exactly yeah. right. Um, I mean, here this is mostly conversation with yeah. her, and if you ask questions, she's going to answer you. Okay. Um, there are certain things she may want to hold back, but if you press her, I mean, she's mm-hmm. hiring you. So yep. um, if you feel like you're not getting what you want, you could use a push to try to get more. Okay. Um, so anyone else? So we live, you know, we live at, uh, at the manor. Um, it's my father and me and Helen and you know, a few servants. You know, we have a butler and, and, a, and now a nurse. That's it. The butler did it. We're done, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, that. Um, but, you know, we're never all there together. Um, Dad is out a lot and uh, I'm there taking care of Helen, but I can only handle so much. There's really nothing to do. She just sits there and stares at the wall and mumbles. Um, yeah, when people get like this, sometimes you call in more than a nurse. Have you had any other doctors in the visitor? Well, as I said, we've had specialists and we've had yeah. uh, physicians and psychiatrists, and they've made no no meaningful progress. Anyone from out of town? Yeah, we flew in um, someone from uh, from Dallas, and uh, someone came down from San Francisco as well. And All right. They uh, they say that she's had a psychic shock uh, or a psychic break. They use different words, but really. They're saying that something traumatized her so much that, at least for now, her mind is broken. All right. Well, I'm not sure I can get anything more right now. I've got a few sources I can check in with. In the meantime, maybe you should go relax, have yourself a nice drink, and um, we could talk about uh, my the fees for my services. Well, I'm happy, happy to talk about that. and I, As long as you're reasonable, I'm sure the fee will be fine. You know, there are um, maybe a couple things I should mention to you. You asked who would come to the house, and I, I kind of balked at that because they haven't really come. But, you know, uh, it's, hard. it's hard for me to talk about these things because uh, I'm a fairly proper woman. But, you know, Helen was yeah, – she was – def- Take a look around you, darling. It's all right <laughs> to speak your mind here. That's well, the only way we get things done. Well, I, will, I, uh, I will reassure her of that. I, okay, I appreciate that. And you could use reassurance, and I would yeah. – uh, and that would be great. And um, – Helen was, she was a wild child and, and mm-hmm. she, I'd like to say she had a man on the side, but she had several men on the side. And uh, I have no idea if they were involved in this, but you should know that she was, um, as far as I know, I hear that she was seeing several men. The only one I know about by, for sure by name was uh, Marshall Daly. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a screenwriter at Capitol Pictures, working on the movies, um, he seems, to the little bit that I know, to be very, very handsome, perhaps angry. Um, <laughs> Those things go often hand in hand, they, don't they? they? Do. Well, he, he seems like he might be jealous, and, and so I'm not blaming him, but I worry, I worry a little bit about that connection. And um, The only other thing that I can think of that maybe... So has Masha tried to visit us since she's been in this state? Not, not that I'm aware of, he, right. not when I've been there. So... Um, you know, I, and I haven't seen him for like five weeks. So I, I haven't seen him since before Helen left. Um, uh, you know, you know, Dex, as I'm talking to you, I think that 
That might not be right. It's five weeks. Well, you said it's, she was gone six weeks ago. Yeah, six Turn weeks. back up, for, and, and Dex is pulling back on the page. Look yeah, at the you first know, one for you his You know, you're notes. right. You're yeah. right, Dex. You've, you, as I think it through with you, you're right. Uh, I saw her. I saw him after she left, but before she returned. He came by just one time looking for her, and I said, no, she'd been gone, and, uh, and he looked a little funny about it, and then that's the last time that I saw him. So he was looking for her when she was already gone. Right. All right. And, you know, uh, the problem is I'm not exactly sure how long she was gone because sometimes she'd go off for three or four days and she'd be, you know, out at a casino or off with someone. And we didn't, we didn't really think too much about it if it was two or three or four days. But when she'd been gone for a week, um, people started to notice. All right. The, um, the only other thing I can think, and I don't know if it would be helpful, but, you know, she, she's just muttering all this nonsense all the time. And um, some of it reminds me, and I don't know how it reminds me because the words aren't the same, but you know, after, my, after our mother died, Helen started talking all this nonsense about auras and secret masters and pyramids. And uh, I don't know who dragged her into that nonsense, but I remember her using the phrase several times when we talked about it, the argent light. And she hasn't said Argent light or any of those things since she's been back, but I don't know. For some reason, her her mummies just kind of make me think about that. I have no idea if there's any type of connection. Yeah, with the influx of all these people looking for stardom, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. You know, there is a lot of weird stuff in LA right now. Yeah, and there's a lot of religions and cults and societies, and I hope she wasn't mixed up in any of that. But you know, I don't. I don't know. That's why I'm hiring you. If she was, we'll find out. Excellent, excellent. So. Um, I don't, I don't know what else I can tell you. I might take you up on that, uh, just going home and having a drink now. It's a good idea. And um, Dex will pitch her, as she put it, a reasonable fee plus what he thinks she can afford on top of it without being greedy. Just short of that. Use his judgment based on what he, he has observed of her so far and uh, put the right number on there to, to match um, last week's utility bill that he hasn't paid yet. And so she, uh, she hears that fee, and, and she's a businesswoman. So yeah. she, says, uh, she says, you know, uh, I know what you're doing here, and I'm fine with that fee as long as you do what you say you're going to do. I won't complain yeah. about it one time as long as you follow this through to the end. Not a problem there. I've got to keep both of these lights on. <laughs> All right. So and that horrible fan racket spinning. Awesome. So uh, um, Margaret. Deacon will walk out of the office as she gets up. Uh, she smooths her skirt as she steps up. Uh, she gets off of the couch, kind of looks down behind her. Again, not with uh, disdain, but just kind of with a, uh, a funny look. And then uh, I can't believe I just sat on that look. <laughs> yeah. Smooths her skirt down over her stockings, which you imagine are nice thigh high, oh, uh, and yeah. uh, and walks to the door. And as she uh, opens the door, she looks back, um, takes a puff on her cigarette, and says, uh, "Mr. Raymond." Uh, Dex, I'm, I'm very, very glad to have you on the case. Very glad to be on it. Good luck relaxing. I'll get back to you with news as soon as I have it. Excellent. And on that note, I think this would be a great place to stop for the episode. I think it would be, too. I like, I like this so far. I, I mean, I like that it's so conversational. That's something that um, I really appreciate in the game. Awesome. Well, we're going to pick right back up. So if you want to listen to the next hour, tune in next week. And until then, we'll say bye-bye from the shed. Bye. 
The preceding podcast was brought to you by One Joe Young. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com.